Welcome to the Healthy Hormones for Women podcast. I'm your host, Samantha Gladish, online nutritionist, weight loss coach, and hormone fixer-upper. I'm excited to bring you a weekly dose of information and inspiration, sharing with you simple and effective strategies from health, wealth, and all things personal growth. Get ready to become the master of your hormones and experience vibrant health to live a life of more power and possibility. Welcome back, everybody. I hope your week is off to an amazing start. I am over here wearing socks. And guys, I don't often wear socks, but you know when I have socks on, it's cold. And the weather has totally changed in the past week. It's been windy and gray and gloomy and rainy, and it totally sucks because it really is just a sign that summer is over. And I'm having a really hard time parting with that. And I can't believe, like, I literally went into my my sock drawer today and I was like, I'm cold. I am pulling out these socks and the, the fact that I'm putting these on, you know that it's cold out. So it totally sucks, guys. I'm not ready for the cold weather, weather to come. I'm in the process of putting some of my summer clothes away and pulling out some of those sweaters. And uh, yeah, just thought I would share that because I know there's some of you that are tuning in to this from many parts of the world and it's still beautiful and sunny where you are and it is all year long. So I'm very jealous of you. All right, let's switch gears. I'm talking today about metabolic health and giving you some really quick strategies, some some strategies that are super easy to implement to really support your blood sugar and your insulin and your glucose because a couple of weeks ago, maybe you were following me over on Instagram and you saw that I was wearing a continuous glucose monitor and it was so fascinating wearing it. You've probably seen many people on Instagram, maybe like different influencers and and whatnot using continuous glucose monitors. And basically you stick it into the side of your arm and it provides you this real time information about your glucose levels. And that's really important because it gives you all this feedback into how certain foods are impacting you and your energy levels, your mood. Hormones play a big role in this, obviously, because insulin is such a major hormone and it impacts everything in your body. And so it's just so fascinating. And what I was learning about myself and, you know, different foods and whatnot and how they impact me. And I basically wore my glucose monitor kind of like partway in my follicular phase and then over ovulation and then kind of like a bit into my luteal phase. They really only last for 14 days. So I'm curious to try another one because basically I want to test it because it lasts for 14 days. I want to test wearing one just during my follicular phase and then another one during my luteal because hormonal fluctuations between estrogen and progesterone are also going to impact your glucose and you're going to be more sensitive at times during your cycle and then also ovulation will impact too. So it's just really fascinating. And so a few things that I can share with you with my glucose monitor and the data that I got is that my levels were pretty stable for the most part. I was kind of around the like high fours to like the mid fives or mid to low fives. That's really where I was ranging and it's sort of around 4.7 to 5.2, 5.3. That was really my averages. During ovulation, I did spike up closer to six and 6.1. So definitely a little bit higher. I personally like to see levels below six. So in and around four and five is really 
ideally where you want to see it. I guess more so probably in the mid fours is the ideal number that I would love to see for clients. But again, that will vary throughout the day. That will vary throughout times in your cycle, stress, you know, exercise levels, all of that's going to impact it. But we want to be conscious of variability. So that means how high your glucose is spiking after a meal. So, you know, if I'm averaging 4.8 and then I eat a meal and I go up to 7.8 or 7.9, that's a massive jump. And if that's something that's consistently happening, well, there's a few things I want to be looking at. I want to be looking at timing of my meals, how much I'm eating, and obviously what the carbohydrate load is looking like. Am I pairing my meals efficiently with enough protein and fat to slow down that carbohydrate release? That all is really going to matter. And so like I said, I was averaging pretty much somewhere around that like high fours to low fives. I did spike a little bit during ovulation. And then it was so interesting because the highest spike that I had was during this one night where we, it was like a really long, busy day. Our kind of eating schedule for Gaten and I was thrown out the window. We ran out to go do some errands and by the time we knew it, it was like 9.30 when we sat down to have dinner and we went and we got takeout. And there's this amazing Thai place around the corner from us and they do like gluten-free and dairy-free and they use coconut sugar. It's great ingredients. And I ordered a green curry chicken, which is my favorite. And I had a little bit of jasmine rice with it. Now, of course, there were lots of veggies in there. There was peppers and broccoli and carrots, lots of chicken. I actually always get them to add extra chicken. So I get double up on the chicken. And so sure enough, anyways, I I had that meal. I had a little bit of the rice. And two hours after, my blood sugar went from like literally about 4.8, 4.9 all the way to it was somewhere around 7.8 or actually it might have been closer to 6.9, but it was a massive jump. I can't remember exactly the data. I got to look back into the app that was tracking all of this. But I know that was like the highest jump that I had during those 14 days. And it was thanks to my green curry chicken. So it's just so interesting because it goes to show you, number one, you're not preparing your own meals. And so you don't know how much sugar is being used when you're eating out. And so I'm sure that the sauce probably contained a lot of sugar. And then I had the rice on the side. So that's going to impact my levels as well. And so it was just really quite fascinating. And the other thing too is like timing of your meals plays a really big role here. So I'd be curious to actually eat that meal again, but eat it for like lunch at maybe two o'clock in the afternoon and see how my glucose reacts because your insulin sensitivity changes from morning to night. So I'd just be really curious to see that. So Today, what I want to do is just really share some insights and some strategies that you can start today that are going to improve your glucose levels and your metabolic health overall. And, you know, when I say metabolic health, what I'm really meaning is like our ability to keep average and fasting glucose levels in an optimal range. So we want to minimize post-meal glucose spikes. We want to optimize our insulin sensitivity. We want to really sort of exhibit flexibility in utilizing different energy sources. So including like stored fat and glucose for fuel. So we just want to be able to really use those different energy sources and not just rely on glucose. So the thing is really achieving metabolic health isn't just about insulin sensitivity and glucose and all of that, that plays a massive role. But, you know, metabolic health, it's 
a part of our health from head to toe. Our metabolism is involved with our thyroid, with our adrenals, with our ovaries, which impacts fertility. So, you know, metabolism, I think so many of us think about it in terms of like weight gain or weight loss or fat accumulation. I think that's what we often think about. And I get that. And that's part of it for sure. But it's so beyond that as well. So when I'm saying like metabolic health or metabolic fitness or metabolic flexibility, you know, I'm referring to kind of all of these things. So obviously one of the things that you can do to really track your metabolic health is to use a glucose monitor. And then you can really get some data about how food is impacting you and different lifestyle behaviors. And it will just really help to sort of expand your metabolic awareness, which is really interesting and just really give you some of that data. And so some really simple things that we can do to support our metabolic health and really optimize our glucose and our insulin sensitivity and all of that. I want to share some tips with you today. I feel like I have a whole bunch of them and I might have to do a part two. So I don't know how many I'm going to get through today, but I have about like 12. So maybe we'll go with four or five today and we'll do a part two and bring on the other. So number one, eating earlier in the day. This is really important because time-restricted feeding, and you probably hear about like intermittent fasting, which I'll kind of talk about that shortly, you know, time-restricted feeding means basically consuming all of your day's worth of calories in more of a relatively shorter window of time and pushing that earlier in the day so that you're not eating so late at night. And it's really interesting because there was this one study overweight, non-diabetic people showed that even when they engaged in time-restricted feeding for just four days, that significantly helped to lower their fasting glucose and their fasting insulin and their mean glucose levels, which is really fascinating. So you know, time-restricted feeding can mean that, you know, you're eating between 11 and 7 or, you know, 10 and 6 or 12 and 8, like whatever that might look like. But instead of actually eating all day long, all of the time, you actually have more of a window where you're consuming your calories. So some people do, you know, an eight hour window or a seven or a six hour window. Of course, there's all ways to fast and do time restricted feeding. You know, Gaytan does a 24 hour fast once a week from basically a Tuesday evening to a Wednesday evening. And that's just been like the thing that he's been doing. And it's just interesting because I'm like, I wish you would have started this when you had your glucose monitor on because he wore his for two weeks straight as well. And he just did, he just started doing a 24 hour fast. So I'd just be so curious to see what maybe changed with his glucose levels. But it's so different for men. Like, oh my God, it was so annoying having him wear the glucose monitor at the same time I was because like his levels just stayed the same. They barely budged. And, you know, it's very different for men because they're not cyclical. Hormones are obviously very different. And then he also has a lot of muscle mass, which will really impact how your cells uptake that glucose and utilize that. So yeah, it's really different for men and women. And it's so annoying because <laughs> he was at like this low, like, I don't know, in the threes, somewhere in the threes. And I'm just like, oh my God, that's so low. And it just stayed there. Like it barely budged. And I was just like, oh my God, I don't want to talk to you. Don't share your numbers with me because again, mine weren't bad, but the fluctuations were a little bit different. But it's also really fascinating just to see the differences between men and women too, right? So anyhow, 
time-restricted eating, and this could be really helpful for you if you are finding you are having a lot of blood sugar irregularities and mood swings and food is just like really impacting you and you're having a lot of these amino crashes with your meals, like it might be worth testing that. However, just leading into my second point here, which is intermittent fasting, I'm going to say explore intermittent fasting, okay? So that would be really tip number two. So tip number one is like eating earlier in the day and just pushing the food up because what happens is you are actually more insulin sensitive in the evening times. And this is why when I ate that meal at 9.30 at night, I had such a massive spike. So, you know, there was also another study that showed eating food later in the evening will cause a significant increase in both insulin and glucose levels compared with eating the same meal consumed in the morning. So it is so fascinating. So this is why like you're more insulin resistant at night and this is why pushing the meals up and doing time-restricted feeding could really benefit you. So this leads into my next point, number two, intermittent fasting, but more so exploring intermittent fasting. I've spoken about it quite a bit on the podcast and you do have to be really careful here if you have a lot of adrenal issues going on. Like if you're adrenally fatigued and you have a lot of thyroid issues going on as well, you really have to be conscious here. Your adrenals in your thyroid, they need food and they need carbohydrates. So you just have to play around with this a bit. And this is why I say like explore because you have to see what feels right for you. And I know for myself, what I've been exploring with lately because I have had adrenal issues and because I have Hashimoto's, I'm just like really tuning in. And I used to do more intermittent fasting in the past, but you have to really think and you have to really recognize that what you've done two years ago, even just a year ago or three years ago, may not be the thing that your body needs for you right now. And that's really what I've just been tuning into and recognizing for myself. Like I used to do a lot of intermittent fasting. And lately, I would say in the last like, you know, four to five months, I'm not, I'm really not doing that. I'm waking up in the morning. I'm actually very hungry. I take my desiccated thyroid right when I wake up and 30 minutes later, I go and I eat a meal. And especially because I like to work out in the morning, I want to have a little bit of something, whether it's like half of a shake or like some eggs or protein, something. I want to eat a little bit of something before I work out. So I have a bit of fuel in the tank because what I was noticing was that I would wake up, you know, I take my desiccated thyroid, I would maybe drink either a decaf coffee like black or, you know, might make an elixir or something like that and do it in a way so that I was still in like fast mode. And then I would work out and then after my workout, I would go eat and I would literally be sitting at the table like falling asleep. I'd be so tired at that very first meal of the day. And I just started to realize, okay, you know what? I just don't think my body is in a place right now where this is supporting me. Like intermittent fasting is not working for me right now and I am exhausted at like noon or, you know, 11. And this is just not how I want to feel. So I'm going to switch things up here. And that's when I started to realize my body needs more food and fuel before I work out so that I'm not crashing so much. So that's what I've been doing. And this is why I say you have to explore. And some days, especially if I'm in my follicular phase, I actually feel like, oh, I could go a little bit longer today and not eat first thing in the morning. But it really is about paying attention to your body day by day and 
I feel like so many of us get very disconnected from that because we get way too caught up in like diet culture and thinking like there has to just be this one way or we kind of fit ourselves into this box of this like one protocol and this is just the one thing we're going to do forever and that's going to be the thing and it doesn't work that way your body is changing things in your life are changing there are so many stressors many of us are dealing with nowadays especially during the pandemic like we have so much that's going on and have had to adapt in so many different ways and that will mean that your food will have to change too and the timing of your meals will have to change too and it's just like having to pivot you know having to pivot and be flexible with your health and your body because it's giving you feedback it's telling you something is working or not working so really listen to that and tune into that and so that's what i've been exploring i've been eating 30 minutes after i take my desiccated thyroid and i actually do recommend that if you are taking desiccated thyroid or thyroid medication and you're waiting an hour and you can't wait the hour at least give yourself 30 minutes, 30 minutes, okay? So that's what I've been doing. It's been working great for me. Now I have fuel in the tank. My workouts have been so much better. I've also really dramatically slowed down my workouts and then I eat an amazing meal after and I fuel myself and I feel so much better and I'm not having that mid-morning like sleepy crash. Okay, went on a tangent there, but I hope that really can help benefit somebody that is listening that is maybe feeling like, They are too caught up in the diet dogma and trying to stick to this one thing and trying to just force it and make it work and just realizing maybe it's just not for you and that is okay. So explore intermittent fasting. And what this really means is, you know, what intermittent fasting is restricting your food intake for longer periods of time. And this could be anywhere from 16 hours up to 24 hours or even more. And there was actually a recent study that was showing, it was a very small study. It was like a very, kind of like a case report. And there was these three individuals with type 2 diabetes showed intermittent fasting could really reverse their diabetes in as little as seven months by participating in 24-hour fasts anywhere from two to four times a week. So that's what these three participants did. They were doing 24-hour fasts and it really helped to really reverse their diabetes in as little as seven months. Now, I will say, I have worked with hundreds of diabetic clients over the year, and I'm going to say like 95% of them have reversed their diabetes, and we didn't do all this crazy intermittent fasting and 24-hour fasting. We did some 14-hour fasts a couple times a week, but what we did was we just got really clear on the timing of their meals and also the amount of protein that they were eating. And in as little as literally three months, we were reversing their diabetes. Like I would literally have doctor's offices calling me saying, my client is no longer a diabetic, what did you do? It's, it's so wild because I was like, what do you mean your doctor? Like food, healthy eating, you know, managing their time of their meals and, you know, incorporating a little bit of time restriction, but like nothing drastic. And obviously each person is individual as well. So getting them on strategic supplements, like that was one area that I thought, you know, in my business when I was growing it, I was like, maybe I should just focus on diabetics because this is something I happen to be really good at. But, you know, that's where I kind of branched out to more things like PCOS and PMS and thyroid health and adrenals because your insulin is involved in all of this and it can impact just so many symptoms and so many symptoms in relation to hormonal imbalances. So 
Anyway, it's a little offside there. But intermittent fasting is something that you can explore. And it might mean you start with a 14-hour fast, and then maybe you do work up to a 16-hour fast. It doesn't mean that you have to do this every single day, but explore it. Maybe it means you have more flexibility to do this during your follicular phase, and you may not feel like that during your luteal phase when you're more progesterone dominant and hungrier too, oftentimes as well, leading up to your period. So just play around with it and see what works for you. But there definitely is studies really showing how 24-hour fasts specifically can improve insulin sensitivity. So it might be something you want to try on, but I don't think you should just dive right into a 24-hour fast until maybe you've explored with a 14-hour and a 15 and a 16 and some time restriction and, and then playing around with that and going from there, okay? Okay, ladies, I quickly want to interrupt our episode today. And being that we're talking about strategies to balance out blood sugar and support our insulin and our glucose, there are some really great products and companies that are super conscious of the sugar that they're using in their products. Organifi is one of my go-to companies. I love them so much. They use monk fruit sweetener, which is so great, and sometimes stevia, which does not have an impact on your blood sugar. Right now, being that it's fall season, they're Pumpkin Spice Gold is where it's at and it tastes delicious. And if you are looking for a delicious fall latte to enjoy and know that you can enjoy something that's very restorative, has some really great adaptogens in there and some really great herbs, and you know that it's not going to impact your blood sugar like going to Starbucks, then definitely check out the Gold Pumpkin Spice. It contains turmeric and ginger and reishi mushroom and lemon balm and turkey tail mushroom. It also has magnesium in there, which is great for relaxation and recovery, black pepper, coconut milk, Ceylon cinnamon, and all those delicious fall spices like nut milk, clove, and allspice. It really is so delicious. And even their protein powder, same thing, monk fruit sweetener. They have their chocolate gold, their chocolate harmony, which I'm a really big fan of. So many great products that isn't going to impact your blood sugar and they absolutely taste amazing. So you can save 15% off site-wide at OrganifiShop.com. Use the coupon code HEALTHYHORMONES at checkout to save your 15% off. And then also something else that I've been talking about in this episode is making sure you're getting in enough protein, fat, and fiber. And fiber can be a little bit challenging to get in. If you are eating the organic toasted super seeds from Eaton Hemp, you actually get four grams of fiber in two tablespoons. So it could actually be pretty easy to get four tablespoons a day and get eight grams of fiber right there. I love to sprinkle these on my salads. I also will top them on my smoothies. And when I drink on my smoothies, I have a little bit of crunch. You can add them into like a smoothie bowl or an oatmeal bowl, and you're going to get some really great fiber. But you're also going to get some really great fat. There's about 4.5 grams of fat for just two tablespoons. And that's going to also be very satiating and supportive for you as well. And then of course, hemp seeds, right? Just regular hemp hearts. Those are delicious loaded with protein, loaded with a lot of polyunsaturated fats, you're going to get higher fat in there, closer to 14 grams, and using that as well in smoothies and salads and oatmeal bowls and things like that throughout the day. It's going to be a great way to get in some healthy fats. And I actually like to 
put a little bit of butter on my sweet potato after I've roasted it. I put a little bit of butter and then I add on some of the hemp hearts on top of my sweet potato. And I will also add a little bit of the everything bagel seasoning to my sweet potato. And that is just like my go-to. I love it so much. So that could be a really great way to up the ante on fiber, fat, and protein in your meals to balance your blood sugar. You can save 20% off at Eaton Hemp. Head to their website, eatonhemp.com. Use the coupon code Healthy Hormones and save 20% off. All right, let's get back to our episode. Okay, so tip number three is... I feel like a very obvious one is no added sugars and refined foods. This is obviously something we talk about a lot. I think we're all very aware of this and it's very highly effective in managing your insulin and your blood sugar levels. If you're trying to optimize your glucose, don't eat foods that have tons of refined grains and added sugars. Just being conscious of the packaged food that you're buying. You want to be eating food as close to its natural form as possible. You know, food in its original form that comes from the wild. Just be really conscious of like refined flours, refined grains, added sugars, refined fruit juices and things like that. And just reading your labels and really being conscious of that because we know that Consuming refined foods is going to impact your glucose levels. And we know that consuming unrefined, low glycemic foods will likely lead to lower glucose spikes and really improve your metabolic health over time. So this is why wearing a continuous glucose monitor can be really helpful for you because it's gonna allow you to see how a particular food and even portion sizes will affect your glucose response. So obviously like fruits and vegetables, like low glycemic fruits, and they contain a lot of polyphenols as well, and that can also improve glucose regulation. So eating more whole foods and not being scared of fruit, but at the same time, everybody is going to react differently to fruit. This is why having a continuous glucose monitor can really allow you to see, okay, if you are snacking on an apple or snacking on berries, how does that impact your glucose? What's the data from that, you know, from eating that? Are you getting big spikes from eating that? And then now what happens if you eat the apple and you have it as part of, you know, a salad and there's chicken in there and like it's part of a meal versus something that you snack on? Now, how does your body adapt to that or react to that? So I think it's really interesting to use a glucose monitor because it will, again, just give you so much feedback. I should also mention the glucose monitor that I did use is from a company called Nutris sense, you can actually save $25 off if you do want to try one yourself. And that coupon code is healthy hormones. So you can just go to NutriSense.io, N-U-T-R-I, so Nutri, and then Sense, S-E-N-S-E, dot I-O. And basically you go on their site and you can fill out their data, like their form, and you put in your information, like your questionnaire. So you get to choose the program that you want because they have different programs that fit like different needs. And then you're going to fill out the questionnaire and then you're going to purchase your sensor and you're going to get that in the mail. And then you just put that on and you have 14 days to use it. And then what's really cool is you connect the sensor to the NutriSense app. And in the app, you can track all of your data. You can track all of your meals. So it was cool because I was able to take pictures of all of my meals and upload it in there for the 14 days. So I can actually go back and be like, oh yeah, here's actually what my plate looked like. Not just me writing it down, but I actually got to take pictures of it. 
and upload it into the app. It was super cool. So I could go back and I would, you know, track my glucose over the course of the day. So I would have all this data over a 12 hour period. And then also they have a dietitian that is on their app that will connect with you every couple of days and say things like, hey, I'm noticing this trend with your glucose or hey, you had this crazy spike. You know, I wonder what it was you ate, like paying attention to the time of your meal. It was really cool that getting this feedback and this data back from one of their personalized dietitians because they were just like, you know, sharing insights that maybe I may have missed. So that gave me a lot of information too. So I love their app. It was really fantastic. And you get to use the app for free when you purchase the uh, glucose monitor. So just head to their site, NutriSense.io, enter the coupon code HEALTHYHORMONES, and that will save you $25 off of your CGM, your continuous glucose monitor. Okay, so let's dive into, I think I'm on tip number four, and that is fiber is your friend. Eat more fiber, and actually it can be a really hard thing to get in, to be quite honest. In insulin-resistant individuals, high amounts of fiber are associated with lower post-meal glucose, with insulin levels, and lower glycemic variability. And so what that means, glycemic variability, I've said it earlier, it refers to like the up and down swings in your glucose. And we really wanna be careful that we're not swinging way too high or swinging way too low. There was actually this study where, again, sort of another smaller like case study, of 18 individuals and there were those who ate about 50, close to 50 grams of fiber per day had better glucose related metrics than those who had like the identical amount of calories in a day, but only had 15 grams of fiber. Um, So really interesting seeing how fiber can impact, right? So legumes, vegetables, fruits, flax, chia, all of that is going to be really great. You know, beans, some nuts and seeds, that will all be really great. Of course, like leafy vegetables are going to have a lot of fiber in there too. So bottom line, high fiber diets are important. They're going to improve your glycemic control, especially if you are a diabetic or maybe pre-diabetic, especially if you are dealing with insulin resistant PCOS. This can be really helpful, but everybody can benefit from fiber because it's going to support our gut health, it's going to help bind to toxins and excess estrogen in the body and help us flush that out through the bowels and just help us have regular bowel movement. So that is really important. So getting 50 grams of fiber per day, it's an effort. It really is. But if you can maybe start tracking how much fiber you're getting in a day, that could be something like another metric to really start playing around with. And that could really give you some feedback. And then lastly, I'll stop on tip number five, Protein and fat, eat more protein and fat. And really, it's just using this to your advantage. So if you are going to eat carbohydrates, like for example, have a sweet potato or squash or something like that in a meal, combining that with enough protein and fat is really going to help decrease your post-meal glucose elevation and really just optimize that glucose overall, which is what we want. So this is why wearing a CGM is so cool because you can see like the different types of carbohydrates you eat. Like I'm finding I'm sensitive to rice. I don't really eat it that often, but I'm more sensitive to rice and I'm finding I have higher spikes, but not that high spikes if I eat something 
like fruit or sweet potato or squash or even white potato was totally fine for me. So, you know, I wouldn't have known that otherwise. And, you know, sometimes we get caught up in our head thinking like, oh, I can't eat that much sweet potato or I can't eat white potato because we think, you know, quote unquote, it's bad for us. But actually everybody reacts differently. And so getting this data is really fascinating. There was, I think there was a study that showed the consumption of 23 grams of protein and 17 grams of fat 25 to 30 minutes before carbohydrate ingestion significantly decreased post-meal glucose elevation. So that's really interesting. And this was in non-diabetic individuals and those with insulin resistance. So that's really fascinating. If you're loading up on more protein and fat first in your meal, and then maybe you are eating that first, and then you have your carbohydrates at the end, that's really going to have an impact on your glucose levels. So for example, with many of our clients, I recommend that if they're going to eat fruit, have it at the end of their meal. Number one, Don't snack on it because we know that the more frequently you eat throughout the day and you're snacking and grazing, that's going to have an impact on your glucose. But if you actually combine that carbohydrate at the end of the meal, so eat your meal, you know, like have your chicken salad or your salmon and your veggies, whatever that looks like. And then at the end, eat the, you know, fruit as, you know, sort of your dessert. Now you will actually have more stable blood sugar that way because you're eating the protein and the fat first. So even things like just taking a few bites of protein first can really help support that post-meal glucose elevation as well. Okay, so bottom line with that one, you know, eating carbohydrates alone is likely going to spike your glucose more than if you are combining it with protein and fat. Okay, so I will save the other tips for another episode. That is it for today. I really hope that you're going to take on some of these tips and implement them into your daily meals and your lifestyle so that you can really start to balance out your blood sugar and support your insulin and your glucose. Like I said, insulin is such a master hormone and it really communicates to our cortisol and our adrenal glands. So if we have a lot of stress going on, we are probably going to find a lot of issues going on with insulin and find that we have more cravings. And then if we have more issues with insulin and blood sugar overall, it's really going to start impacting our hormone health and how we are feeling just during our cycle. So just being really conscious of managing your blood sugar. And these are some really simple tips that you can implement. So I would love to hear from you if there's anything from today's episode that you're going to start incorporating, maybe all of them, share with me over on Instagram at Holistic Wellness Foodie. And when it comes to refined foods and carbohydrates and all of that, if you are looking to grab a hold of our five-day sugar detox meal plan, that could actually be a really great place to start because we've got lots of great protein in there and fat and really conscious of the kinds of sugars that we include in that sugar detox program. So it's totally free to join. You can head on over to to holisticwellness.ca forward slash sugar detox and download the five-day meal plan and get started on that today. All right. Thank you so much for being with me today. Have an awesome day. I will chat with you all next week. Take care.